Welcome to the sermon podcast of Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Our mission is to respond to God's love by following Jesus and loving God, loving one another, and serving the world. If you're in Knoxville, we'd love for you to join us in person. In the meantime, enjoy this message from God's Word. Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, all the way from Memphis, Tennessee. Downtown church where we celebrate and worship the Lord, I send greetings on our behalf, beloved. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord. First service, we tore the house up and worship. Second service, we did the same thing. You are fantastic individuals, and Alan has showed me an incredible time. Now, he's been wonderfully gracious in saying that I'm uh, already pursuing uh, doctoral work. It's not the case. I have to go to school two times because they didn't accept it, nor did they think I did good the first time. So pray my strength in the Lord. Pray my strength in the Lord. Uh, again, I do mean it. I enjoy worshiping with the Lord's people. It's a beautiful experience, an experience in which we cannot take for granted God's presence being among, amidst his people. Amen, somebody? Let us read God's word in his presence. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, we are at the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord. I got to jump straight to it. I'm a long-winded preacher, so pray for me. Andrew Keesling said 20 to 25, and uh, I have not been able to do that for several years. (laughs) Intergenerational conversations are necessary. Intergenerational connections are pivotal for our community, in particular the church. Oftentimes, they can be discouraging and denigrating, though, merely because after evolving circumstances and worldviews over time, different generations come to different outcomes and outlooks around society. And what we tend to do is we unnecessarily compare past, present, and future. That the older generation typically lets the younger generation know that you have it a lot better than I used to have it. The inventions and things that you have today allow you to do a lot more things more efficiently and effortlessly. But you see that the younger generation sees the older generation being outdated. And um, they do not want to learn anymore. Or they feel as if uh, they are out of touch with the world. The bad thing is, as the covenant family, what we all feel susceptible to is acknowledging the fact that we are all critics of one another's generation. That one way of life we feel is if superior than the other. But if we were to deal with anything and understand this, this no generation should be more superior than the other. Acknowledging that God has created all generations. That God intended for his people to have a unified, redemptive obligation towards one another that transcends anything that tries to divide generations. See, church, we oftentimes are lulled to sleep by the schemes of the devil to try to divide us and every facet and shape in the church where we should be finding common ground to understand one another and to honor each other as the covenant family, a lot of times what we tend to do is pit one another against each other. But God says that in him, 
He's made all generations. This is what we read in Genesis 1, chapter 6, I mean, chapter, two, chapter 1, 26 to 28, that God created man in his image, in his likeness. And you know, what he did is he said that he wants us to teach, train, and nurture those that are younger than us. This is the Deuteronomy 6 uh, uh, Shema teaching, which actually connects to the societal development for everybody a part of that nation. And I would, I would say today, a part of the church. But on the other hand, children honoring their father and mother is not merely based upon the biological, spiritual uh, um, relationship. It's every aspect and relationship, and we'll develop that more throughout the church, offering wisdom and guidance. But see, here's the key. We understand that God created all generations by the way that we dignify humanity in which God created them. Meaning that we should oftentimes make sure that people in our churches, in a church that's intergenerational, are all appreciated, are all honored. And when we come to the text, that's what we should see. But you may want to you may want to fall asleep. You may be like my son, anticipating when church will be over. That's all he's asked me since yesterday. How long is church? We're gonna make it long for him tonight. He's gonna he, he, he gonna he gonna burn. But here's the big idea. The idea is is that God promises an inheritance for His children to enjoy. Say I'm His child. Say I'm His child. God has promised, God promises an inheritance for his children to enjoy, so we need to honor the covenant family. We need to honor the covenant family. See, we do this in two ways. If I would have had a third point, we'd be here till tomorrow. So I only had two. <laughs> One is we need to dignify those who exemplify godliness. And two, we need to remember our prosperity is for God's glory. We prosper because God is glorified. Herman Ritterboss is known for the famous insight regarding the appropriate, appropriate application of scripture. He notes that every imperative, that is what we do for God, rests on the indicative, that is who we are in our relationship with God. Uh, my seminary professor, whom Clay and Alan know well, Dr. Chapel, said it simply. He said, we Christians do, what Christians do is based on who we are in Christ. What Christians do is based on who we are in Christ. This morning, as we dive into our text, we note that the indicative is the promise. And Paul has already said in Ephesians 6 and 2, when we read, this is the first commandment with a promise. But also that know that promise is an inheritance that's tied to the imperative, which is to honor your father and mother, and which you will hear me say the covenant family. First point is we need to, did we pray? We did not pray. Let us go before the Lord. Father, we thank you. We love you. We Bless you. Help me, Lord God, to to calm down, to focus in and speak directly to your people. I pray, God, that you hide me beneath your cross. Don't allow my words to be magnified, but Lord, allow your words to be magnified. And God, I pray that all of us 
see that you are the one that is instructing us, leading us, and guiding us in every way. A lot of words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. All God's people said together, Amen. amen. We need to dignify those who have exemplified godliness. But when we come to our text, we see that honor your father and, mo- and your mother, the first thing it says is honor. So one of the questions is, what does honor mean? What is honor getting to? If you do the etymology of the word, is it a verb or is it a noun? And how do we unpack it? And what does it mean for the original audience? And that's what we'll deal with. But I know oftentimes, if you were like me, typically when you read the fifth commandment, you only think about children. But what I find that's interesting about this is that it does not say children honor your father and mother. In fact, it says honor. That means that no, if you are 75 years old or 175 years old, you ought to honor your father and mother. As we have already sang a song that says that we are retelling the triumphs of his grace. Oh, my goodness. The triumphs of his grace. What stories are we retelling? What redemptive narratives are we retelling? Those that honor our brothers and sisters who have lived this faith, who have been martyred for this faith, who walk this faith out, we honor them in the way that we live in unity together. So this is not just for children, beloved. It is for the covenant family. So honor literally means to make heavy or to be weighty. There's this gravitas about the word in which it doesn't simply mean to offer respect, but there is a richness and a robustness to the word that says that this imperative of a verb is supposed to impress upon the people to understand that honor is not an honor that is just flippant, but it is one that actually reflects the glory that we and reflects the majesty that we see in our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, the honoring of the covenant family doesn't mean that you simply just say a word and throw it around. We actually can see in the Bible where in uh, Psalm 15, 4, a good man recognizes is, re- is recognized as one who honors the Lord. And we see Israel honoring prophets in 2 Samuel 9 and 6. This even has so much weight and gravitas. There are consequences associated with it. We'll get to that just a bit further down. But we see also in Deuteronomy 5 and 16 where it says, honor thy father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that you may go well, that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving. I believe that our understanding of this is to help us to know that it is deeply connected to the historical context of understanding the, the, the Israelite society. That their society wasn't just about making sure one does a moral task. One can read the Ten Commandments and think that if I just do what it says, then I'm actually reflecting God's glory. That does not get to the the point, nor does it magnify God. It only means that you know how to do one simple behavior. Your heart has to be transformed. Your mind has to be renewed. And this is what I believe that the text helps us with. Because when it's essentially tied to Genesis 1, 
26 through 28, we can also tie it to Genesis 5, 3, where this idea of imaging the father, we see where Adam fathered his son in his own likeness uh, at after his image, is, it does not mean that Adam spit out a human being or woven together a human being. In fact, what it means is Adam demonstrated being a covenant representative to his children. Thus, his children were able to see God through their father in order to emulate the same thing. And the way that they honor their father is the way that they live their lives. The way that we honor the covenant family and those that have been around us and demonstrated godly examples is the way that we emulate them. I'll tell you right now, I came up under a African-American preacher. His name is Thomas A. Harsley. He is an attorney and my behavior, my mannerisms, things that I've developed over time, they developed because I came up under his training. There were other spiritual fathers and deacons and elders and pastors and and even spiritual mothers in my life that have instilled things in me that today I come out naturally in a way in which I honor them. It's the Old Testament scholar that helps us to understand this word just a little bit more when he says, John Walton says this, honor is given to them as representatives of God's authority for the sake of covenant preservation. Listen, there is something at stake and it's more than something by simply following the rules of parents or parental figures or church leaders or the elders or the student leaders. It is the fact that the nation of Israel was to be unlike any other nation by solely honoring the one true God that he created those that you ought to honor in the covenant family. Do you see how God has a plan for the life of his church, for the children of his church? You can see it because you can track it back to Genesis 12, one through three, where he is saying that I am making a great nation, beloved. And you have to believe when God is making a great nation, when he is up to something, sanctification becomes a part of that process where the children of God are stripping away those things that are unlike God in order for them to follow those that oftentimes demonstrate the hard and tumultuous life, tumultuous lives of being Christ followers. You have to understand this life should not be easy. Being a Christian should not be easy. It should be absolutely countercultural and difficult sometimes because we're honoring a God that actually is not of this world. We understand this because the severity of dishonoring our, our covenant family leads to death and curse. You can go to Genesis chapter 21, 15, where it says, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. I dare someone to leave here and strike their mother or father. I'm just a joke. <laughs> Deut- Deuteronomy 27, 16 says, cursed is anyone who, who, di- who dishonors his father or his mother and all the people shall say amen. The Israelite community was a tribal society, beloved. Therefore, what they would understand was their social context was actually in three levels of kinship, the tribe, the clan, and the household. The extended family was actually 
at based on the shared land and based on their social structure that actually was tied to the economic aspect of their land tenured and their covenant relationships. So their economic, their social and theological importance was actually attached to the covenant family was attached to the family. Therefore, their honoring of the covenant family was crucial. We have to understand the weight and the gravitas of what it means to honor. It has consequences. But also, many of you may say, well, Mike, I've never been able to be a parent. Some people have never lived life long enough to be a a parent. That's why when we understand our society, and what we have as a church, the church is that function of a community that we are supposed to be spiritual aunties, we're supposed to be spiritual cousins, spiritual uncles, spiritual nephews, spiritual mothers and sisters and brothers. We're supposed to take care of one another. Amen, somebody? And this is what we understand because every biological lineage does not supersede the spiritual lineage. God has given us a unique and mystifying connectivity amongst one another by his spirit. Powerful enough, I can be in Memphis, Tennessee, but still tied to the power of what God, the wonder-working power, amen, somebody, of what God is doing here at Cedar Springs. But you understand that it is not tied simply to what Cedar Springs is doing. It is tied to the universal church and making sure that the mission of God is going forth by the way that we honor the covenant family. Carrying out all that we have learned, carrying out all that we have adopted from, from, from those that are leaders in our community groups, leaders in our uh, nursery. My son is right in there right now. Hopefully they're praying over him that he receives Jesus uh, to, to, to right now. Adopted parents have, have a role. Foster parents have a role. All individuals, we all have to take our responsibility as the church so that we will honor God in the way that we care for one another. Therefore, honor means more than a moral task. It actually has national implications. And when I say national, I'm thinking about the nation, but it has implications that are universal, essentially, is what I'm saying. The way that I I feel like I can illustrate this is I imagine my professor, Jason Law, would always give us this imagery of a parent sitting their child down in ancient Israel, reciting to them the Shema, saying to them in their old tradition stories about the Red Sea and how God delivered them, how God provided for them out of nowhere, manna falling out of the sky, how they were able to see and remember the story of when Moses went and prayed for them and how they they were also able to see that uh, or remember when and telling this story and when Moses hit a rock and water just flowed out of how God miraculously continued to provide for them. And the way what they were saying, what they were trying to communicate is you continue to honor God because the redemptive story does not stop with us. You carry it forward as the generation. Beloved, that is what we do. We hand off, we continue to encourage, we mutually encourage younger to the older, older to the younger. Why? Because we don't despise young people because they're young. The Bible teaches us that we learn from them. Every facet of God's creation gives us elements of his wisdom, of his glory, of his mind. And through an infant, we can gain great wisdom. Amen, somebody. Therefore, it is crucial that we take 
the mantle and making sure that we pass down the kingdom agenda from generation, past, present, and future, that we don't stop telling the story, that we continue pushing the mission, that we continue carrying out what God has instilled to us. Why? Because God had promised an inheritance for his people. And the only way that we can prosper is point two, is we need to remember that our prosperity is for God's glory. Where God's glory starts is where our prosperity begins. Where it ends is when we begin to make it about us. Here is, beloved, you may ask yourself the question, I've always heard the first half of this particular text, honor your father and your mother. And some of us have used it in ways that we know we should not have. Don't confess your sin just yet. <laughs> Sometimes we, 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 we look at the next verse and we only think about the next part of this verse and only think about longevity, portional longevity, where it says that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It is Jewish scholars who actually help us to see that this is not about personal longevity. In the ancient Near East, the legal documentation made for children's rights it actually meant that they would inherit their inherit their their parents' property, which was contingent upon them honoring their parents. So then their right of, for the future generations of the Israelites was to inherit the land of Israel from their parents is all contingent upon them doing what? Honoring the covenant family. Can you believe that? How does that apply to us today, you may add? I believe that it applies to the church this way, that the way we honor the church is reflective of how we glorify the Lord. The church is made up of parents, Sunday school teachers, elders, deacons, pastors, student ministry leaders. It's made up of your worship directors, choir members, individuals all around your church that who are helping nurture you and move you into the presence of God and allow you to understand that we are you are, you are coming together honoring God the way that you submit to him together. So the desire for the covenant family should not, be come, should not come here for an individual prospering, but there should be a desire to see the family of God to prosper and move forward as a universal church. We want the flourishing of the covenant family to come forward so that we will know God and God will begin to do a work in the life and hearts of us. This fleshes itself out because we begin to prioritize what's most important. This fleshes itself out when we have to deal with our selflessness and selfishness. My son, he's going through that phase right now. No, not selflessness. You're right, selfishness. Every moment is about what is he going to do? He was just talking about sermonizing about his Pokemon cards. <laughs> a lot of what he does and desires oftentimes is there's this urgency and expectation of what's next. And I often have to have a phrase where I say to my son, is this moment about you or is it about the family? What I am doing is trying to graciously and patiently be a father, but also let him know and reorient his heart and mind to say every moment is not about you. To think outside of yourself, 
to understand that what you ought to prioritize is the family and not your personal needs. Should we ask ourselves the same thing, Cedar Springs? Should we ask ourselves, who do we prioritize? What do we prioritize? Who is more than us? Or do we come here selfishly, making sure that we only look out for ourselves? See, it's difficult after coming together after a year of being separated. We've been scattered. The power of the people of God is to be together and be united. And I believe, beloved, we shouldn't have pastors, student leaders, volunteers chasing us down to be a part of the nursery, to be a part of the choir, to be a part of the student ministry, to be a part of the usher team, to be a part of, some of y'all saying what the usher team, I'm sorry, that, that, that means greeting team. Some, some folks come from certain churches where you use ushers sometimes. But we should not be having to be chased down to prioritize the family of God. We should come here asking God to help us see how best we can serve one another because we prioritize one another's needs over the other. Why is this important? Because it begins to do the generational work naturally. It doesn't, it's not forced. It's not anything that, that is not organic. But when you begin to work, when you begin to have little greeters, when you begin to talk to them and sing to the little people, when you begin to encourage the, your older brothers and sisters, when you begin to spend time with them, lunch and coffee over their homes and being in one another's spaces and saying words of encouragement, trust me, the power of God's word encourages the, people's, the people of God more than you know. You say, Mike, I offer my money. I offer, my, I offer those, my tithes and offering. But God is calling us not just to offer what's in our pockets, but I believe in Romans 12, he says that we are a living sacrifice. Therefore, we ought to be holy and acceptable unto him. Embedded in this commandment is the love for neighbor. I don't believe that we can go and do missions around the world if we can't love one another right here, if we can't honor one another right here. How can we take care? How can me as a father take care of everyone else if I don't take care of my own? Cedar Springs, we have to take care of our house. Amen, somebody. Therefore, when you understand that that love for neighbor doesn't necessarily start when you merely walk out of the door, but when you sit in these pews and the way you shake one another and when you greet one another, that is where it begins. And you also understand that Philippians 2 and 4 helps us to understand what it means to live life uh, that is selfless because Paul says that we ought to look not to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. 5 through 7 continues where he says, have this mind, have this mind mind among yourselves which you which yours is in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied he emptied he emptied he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men beloved we said it already in the call to worship we come here because God first loved us Therefore, we are to love one another in order for us to serve this entire world. But see, I, be I believe there's a way to illustrate this. I hope you've been worshiping with me and praying for me this entire time because I, I, this, I didn't intend for this to be a lecture. God is in the midst of his people. And you know, I love the fact that God is in the midst of his people because I believe the Lord is with me when I'm at jazz concerts. 
One of my, my wife and I, we love a jazz vocalist. His name is Gregory Porter. And he has a song called Take Me to the Alley. And the song, which I did not know, was influenced by his mother, who was a Methodist preacher. And so he talked about what would happen around the time of Thanksgiving. And see, if you know anything about Michael Davis, I love Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving because I enjoy the spread. I've shedded a couple pounds over the years because I need to continue to stay alive, but I do enjoy to eat. And as he would talk at the concert about what his mother was preparing, he would talk about the macaroni and cheese, which she baked for a few hours in the oven. He would talk about the greens that she would allow to begin to be soaked with some meat and that bone from the juice of the meat saturating itself in there. Then he would talk about all of the desserts. Some people enjoy pumpkin pie. Me, I like sweet potato pie. But to each its own, he would talk about the pies that were there, the cakes that were there, the meat that was made. And he said, that his mother would gather them, all eight of them, his brothers and sisters, around the table in order to pray, his mouth salivating, waiting to break into the food. They pray. He knows that his mother's prayers are always long. (laughs) After they pray, amen, he's ready to dive in. She immediately says, pack all of the food up, baby. He, unbeknownst to him, he doesn't understand why they're packing this food up. She says, because we're taking it to the alley. We're taking it to the sick and the afflicted, to the forgotten ones, those that have no family, no one around them. She's prioritizing the needs of others, even over the fact of what they can partake in first. She doesn't want to give them leftovers. She wants to offer them the first fruits. What do we learn from that story? We learn, beloved, when we come into this place, we don't offer our leftovers. We don't offer something that we just left in the oven a couple days ago. We offer our first fruits to one another and to the Lord because he's made us in his image, in his likeness, in order for us to glorify him in all of his ways. And the church will continue to prosper because I believe that you will continue to leave a godly legacy. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, that you have found us in the muck, in the mire, and you've raised us from it, that we are now clean because you have imputed your righteousness upon us. Thank you that we're not slaves or captives to our sins, but Lord, we have come to you because you have started something in our hearts that love you. I ask that you continue to help your church flourish to understand the promise of their inheritance, that they will enjoy it, and Lord, that they will honor the coveted family all the days of their lives. Use this word to move your people for years and generations to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say together. Amen.